Lord, for all the needs on each one of our hearts, things spoken or unspoken, we want to give those things to you. And Lord, pray that as we look in your scripture this morning, um, our plates are empty as it were, and you're free to set on them the things you want for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get to our text this morning, we're going to have a bit of a science lesson. You know, sometimes the things that you look at, common things, uh, simple things, or simple we think, often are not. That is, something's commonplace, so you take it for granted, or something appears to be simple, so you kind of write it off. Uh, Light is one of those things, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. We'll spend a little bit of time on this. We're starting with a physics question, and the physics question is this. uh, Is light, is it a wave, or is it a particle? Physics question. Is light a wave, or is it a particle? How many here know the answer? Probably many of you. The answer is yes. Yes, light is a wave, and yes, light is a particle. This sounds like a conundrum. It sounds like an impossibility, and it should be, but it's not. And scientists know that to adequately talk about the characteristics of light, you have to say that it is both a wavelength and a photon or a particle. You cannot accurately describe light apart from both qualities or both characteristics. Most of what I'm sharing with you this morning about light comes from the net uh, site called How Stuff Works, the internet site, great site, How Stuff Works. Most of the time scientists talk about light, they are talking about wave, that light is a wavelength. And along that line, it's the wave-like nature of light that helps us understand or come to grips with things like reflection, that light reflects, light refraction, diffraction of light, interference with light, energy transport related to light, and Doppler effect. And most of these things I know absolutely nothing about. But wavelength is the thing that ties to these qualities of light, all these elements of light. On the other hand, related to spectroscopy, you can only define, uh, related to spectroscopy, light can only be seen as a particle or a Photon wavelength does not adequately describe light related to spectroscopy. So the result of this is that light, this thing that's all around us, we grow up, we live under the light, etc., all around us, commonplace, sort of simple, really isn't incredibly complex. And light has, among other things, this dual nature in which to understand it, we have to understand it both as a wavelength and as a particle, and it sounds like this should be an impossibility, but it's not. We just know that. Scientists don't know how these things can both be true, but they recognize that they are. Another thing related to this is uh, light is a very small portion of a very large spectrum. Uh, Let me read this from uh, How Stuff Works. And first, if I look in my dictionary, the first thing that I read about light is that it's something that makes things visible or affords illumination, a light, like the lights we have in the ceiling. That's a light. But under number two, physics, it says this. Light is luminous energy. It's radiant energy. It's electromagnetic radiation to which the organs of sight react. It ranges in wavelength from about 400 to 700 nanometers, or billionth of a meter in length, 
and is propagated at a speed of 186,282 miles per second, or if you like, uh, metric 299,972 kilometers per second. <clears throat> this is light. It embodies both electrical and magnetic properties, so it's called an electromagnetic wave. And what we see, what we call light, see, it's just the middle. It's just a tiny, tiny fraction of the electromagnetic wavelength. So if, this, if the spectrum of wavelengths is in front of us, the longest wavelengths would be radio waves. And they could be meters long. They could be 30 meters long. That is, if you could measure them from one wave peak or trough to the next, it could be 30 meters, very, very long, down to these billionth of a meter short wavelength. So radio waves on one end and gamma rays or gamma waves on the other. And the longer these waves are, the less uh, fast they are, the slower they travel. If you measure them in frequencies, if you put a door or a window and you say, how many times does this wavelength come through? Radio waves, the very long ones, are very slow. But gamma rays, these things that are incredibly short in length, are also incredibly fast. This also means that radio waves carry very little energy. And coming all the way through, gamma rays carry incredible energy. And in between there is the life-giving light that you and I need. So on one hand, the waves could be innocuous. You know, radio waves are going through this building now. Gamma rays, though, like X-rays, they'll go through us. You know, we use X-rays. This is part of the electromagnetic wavelength. And we use that to take pictures of bones because those light waves, they'll go through your body. Well, this gets pretty serious if it's a gamma ray because it will destroy your body. These packets of light energy, if they go through you, they'll kill you. That's why we avoid fallout, nuclear radiation. We don't want that kind of wave going through this. So... Besides its dual nature, light has this dual nature. It's both a particle and a wavelength. We've got to understand it as both. But also we come to realize that light, what we call light, see, it's just this certain wavelength operating at certain frequencies in this very, very broad spectrum. So we only see of the electromagnetic wavelength, we just see what we can discern with our eyes is a very, very small portion of it only. We can't see all of it. We just see a very little part of it. So that's the science lesson. This is all to get to the text for this morning, which is one verse and one only, and that is John 8, verse 12. And this is to say that Jesus is light. John 8, verse 12. If you remember, this follows up Jesus' claim that if you believe in him, you get the water of life. And we've inserted the story about the woman who's caught in adultery. We've talked about that. And here at John 8, verse 12, this picks up seamlessly back at John 7, when Jesus had said, believe in me and you'll get the water of life, the Holy Spirit. Here Jesus says, he spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. I am, Jesus says of himself, the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the third of the seven great I am statements Jesus gives in John's gospel. This is the third. I am the light of the world. 
we started with a physics question. What's the correct answer to, is light a wave or is it a particle? And we said the, the answer was yes, it's both. And here's a theological question. Is Jesus God or is he man? And the correct answer is yes. Just like light, Jesus says he's light. And this is part of what I mean about complexity in something that appears to be simple. This is a very simple statement, Jesus is light. But frankly, the further you look into it, the more value you recognize in the statement, the more we know about light. Just like light, we must understand it in two different modes that seem to be contradictory, but in fact are not. Jesus is both God and man. And as you know, people have struggled with this through the centuries. How can he be both, it seems to be contradictory, but it's not. This is what the scriptures declare to be true. This was a huge deal in the early church. When the early church was trying to come to grips, just like scientists, is light wave or particle, the early church tried to say, is Jesus God or, or is he man? Because the natural inclination was to be he can't be both. But the scripture said he was both. They just didn't understand that. So around 325, the Nicene Creed was penned and you remember the statements of the church. They came out of heresies. That is, these came because there were problems. People were saying something was true of the scriptures or of God or of man that wasn't. And so the church, those leaders in the church, would gather together and say, what has God said about this? Well, the Nicene Creed of 325 says this. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being one substance with the Father. They wanted to settle this question. Is he God or is he man? Yes, he's both. The Chalcedonian Creed of 451 says essentially the same thing. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the same, perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man. For us to come to grips with Jesus, who is he and what is he, we have to say that he is, yes, God, and yes, he's man. And they're not in conflict with each other. The qualities of light with wavelength are not in conflict with the quality of light seen as a particle. They appear like they should be. We don't understand why they're not. This is true of Jesus' person, fully God, fully man, and neither, though they appear that they should be, is contradictory to the other. In fact, we cannot know Christ as he claims to be apart from this dual understanding that he is both God, he's both deity, very God of very God, as well as man, truly man. If you remember in the early church, some said he's not really a man, he just, it's God and he appears to be a man for a while, but he's not. Or others said, no, he's really a man that the Spirit of God came upon for a time and then left. And the church recognizes the claims of Scripture and in the end says, no, he's really God and he's really man. We don't understand how these things necessarily converge, but we recognize that they're true. Now, also like light in its quality, that we know the electromagnetic spectrum, we know this very, very limited portion of it. We can see it's it's open to our senses. It's measurable by our eyes. You know, when we say, though, of Jesus today, we know Jesus or we've come to know the Lord, what, what do we mean? Do we mean that we know all there is to know about him? 
No way. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's before all. He's after all. So when we say we know him, we, we know this little spectrum, this little light spectrum, as it were, of his greater totality. We'll never know it all. Just like these eyes we have, they'll never see radio waves. They'll never see gamma rays because we don't have the ability to do that. We're not wired that way. You know, even when 1 Corinthians 13, closing on that great love passage, says, you know, right now we're seeing things spiritually darkly or dimly through a mirror. We don't see things the way they are. The, the light of day hasn't dawned yet. But that later we'll see things as they are. We'll know him as he is. But even that doesn't mean that we'll know him in his totality. We can't. When we say we know Jesus, it's like saying we see light. We see a little piece of this huge, immeasurable spectrum, greater than all, but what we see is real, and it's what we need to see and know. But just like light with Jesus, when we say we know him or we see him, if he stood before us and we said we see him, our comprehension of who he is and what he is, it's still like the light spectrum. It's very limited. We see only dimly or darkly, as it were, he that is light. Now, not only does Jesus say of himself that he is inherently light, he is light, but he also gives life. I am the light of the world, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus will come in and will enlighten his world and bring life to his world. Uh, Back to the science lesson for a minute. Uh, Light is interesting And if you say, how does light work? Jesus says, I'm going to come in, I'll be like light in your life. And what does that mean? Well, in the physical world, when we say our world is governed by light, light affects everything we do, uh, how do we see things? Uh, These chairs or the floor, anything in here, is a concrete object. It has substance and mass. It occupies space. But how do we see it? If we were blind, we would bump into it, we could touch it, we could trip over it, our bodies would hit it, we would discern it that way. But related to our eyes, how do we see it? You've got to have some light source. Here we've got the lights, outside we've got the sun. And the energy, the light energy from whatever the source is, hits these objects. And then this red wall, for instance, this red wall reflects the red portion of the light spectrum. Are you with me here? Light, white light, is composed of all the colors that we could see, break light up into, right? Put a triangle, throw light through it, and we see the colors of the rainbow, the various components of light. White light combined, all of the light combines to form white light. When that white light, though, hits that red wall, that wall absorbs all the light spectrum except red. And that red spectrum, that particular frequency and wavelength, bounces off that wall, and we see that wall is red. Or if we look at a green leaf outside, that leaf absorbs all the light spectrum except green, and it reflects green off, and we see green leaves. But it's the light reflecting off those surfaces that allows us to see them. They'd be here without light, but we couldn't see them. If you're wearing black today, if you've got black on, black absorbs all the light spectrum. So when we look at something black, we are sort of looking at the absence of light because it absorbs all of the light spectrum. If you're wearing something white, and several of you are, 
you're wearing a garment that reflects all of the light spectrum. I think this is interesting. Uh, You know, when Jesus in heaven, what's he dressed in? White. And saints in heaven, what are they dressed in? White. I wonder why that is. Think of this. You know, if you talk about moral purity, Jesus is inherently morally pure, without spot. And his garments perfectly, as it were, reflect light. And when you and I become like him, we we have his righteousness by virtue of his death and resurrection. That's a perfect white garment, as it were. So that in eternity, it's as if Jesus says, my light continues shining, and when it hits you as you've been perfected, displayed in these white robes of heaven, you will perfectly reflect all that I am. You'll become the perfect reflector. You and I on earth, we're like a soiled garment, aren't we? It's white. Jesus says, you know, you're clean because I've made you clean, but you get your feet dirty. And we get our garments dirty. But the closer we walk with Christ, the more pure our lives remain, the whiter, as it were, our spiritual spiritual or moral garments are, the more fully we reflect Christ's character, light. White reflects all of the light spectrum. And spiritually, we are meant to reflect Christ's character just like the white garment reflects all of the light spectrum. You know, in the Genesis 1 creation account, God spoke the world, the universe, into existence, and what's the first thing he makes? He makes light, and he says, and the light was good. And if you think about this, life as we know it on earth or in this universe is impossible apart from the presence of light. Even if you think of any kind of life form that exists subterranean, it still depends on the light of the sun in some fashion for its life. It couldn't exist without it. All of life as we know it is dependent on light. You can't have life if you don't have light. And then our days and the days of our life and the years of our life are governed by what? By light. The sun rises and the sun sets. The light of the sun, the moon, and the stars. Our lives are lived under the presence of one form of light or another. You don't have light. You don't have life. Jesus said back in that verse... I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Or we could say the light that brings life. Can't have one without the other. We can, if we think about spiritually, if we think Jesus is light and it's okay, I'll just live life apart from him. It's not as if we would live in a gray or a dark world. It's that we wouldn't live at all. That is, to be without light physically means no life in this world, and to be without Christ's light spiritually means to be without life. It's not shades of gray. Light equals life. If you don't have light, you don't have life. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Just as certainly... As the sun rises each day and brings physical light into our life, when a person trusts Christ, the spiritual sun rises in their life and brings light and life. 
Listen to these verses from Psalms. Psalm 18.28 says, You light my lamp, the Lord my God illumines my darkness. Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Or Psalm 36.9, For with you is the fountain of life, and it's in your light that we see light. Christ is light, and His light brings life. And by the way, Jesus, when He comes into this world, He says He's entering a dark, lightless world. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, in his Space Trilogy, the inhabitants of another planet call Earth the silent planet because it's the dark planet. It's the place where spiritual life was extinguished and it's become dark and silent. They don't hear from it anymore. That's the dark, spiritually lifeless world Jesus Christ entered. Listen to him in John 12, 46. He says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Not remain in darkness. He says when he comes into the world, you're already in darkness. We're born in darkness. The world exists in darkness, spiritual darkness, because it lacks spiritual life and light. In fact, Colossians 1.13 you remember Paul says we've been delivered out of what? The domain of darkness. And we've been transferred to the inheritance of the saints in what? In light. Jesus says when he comes into the world spiritually, it's a dark, lifeless place. Now, the truth is, of course, that everyone doesn't want light and doesn't want life. John 3.19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world Men love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Well, their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. We can walk in the light of day physically on this earth and walk in absolute spiritual darkness. We can have 20-20 vision of the physical world around us and have no vision spiritually to the world around us because we live in spiritual darkness. You can live in a sun-drenched, sunny California and be absolutely, totally spiritually blind. Paul talks about this or develops this theme in 2 Corinthians 4. I want to read a few of these verses. He's kind of talking to the Corinthians about why do some people believe and some don't? What's going on with this? The gospel goes out the same, the same message to everyone. What happens? He says, even if our gospel, the good news about Christ, the light of the world, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded. To be blind is to be without sight, to not be able to see light. Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God who said, Genesis 1, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Just as certainly as we're affected by the light of the sun in our world, 
Just as certainly you have no light spiritually apart from Christ. And when a person trusts, Paul just said in the passage previous to this, the veil is lifted. It's as if something was hidden before, but now when they believe, the veil is lifted and they can see. They've got light now. Through Christ, they have light. To know Christ is to have spiritual life. When you and I trust in Christ, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the spiritual light goes on. We were in darkness, and now we get light. And with that light comes life. And then God actually calls us, of course, to continue to walk in the light. You and I know that we can walk in darkness or we can walk in light. Now, I haven't seen the latest Star Wars movie, but this is kind of the theme in that movie, isn't it? About which side does Luke Skywalker choose? Does he stay in the light or does he go to the dark side? Well, of course, for Christians, we can make the same decision daily, and we do. Do we continue to walk in the light that is Christ's presence and fellowship and his will? Or do we want to entertain evil deeds so that we turn to the shady side of life, to the dark side of life? Listen to John, who penned the passage we read, the verse we read this morning. And John says later in 1 John, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God saves us and the light comes on. The spiritual darkness gives way to the light of day and brings life with it. And Jesus says, as those who have been born again into a kingdom of light, we're told to walk in the light, to fellowship in the light. When we stay in the light, we have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with each other. You know that if you have a child or if you've raised children, you know that if you sense this distance from your child, it's often because your child is walking in the darkness. That is, they have something to hide. So they're not fully honest with you, or you can tell they're reserved, they're holding back on something, and you know that there's a reason. You might not know what it is, but you know there's a reason. What is it? Well, they're keeping something in the dark. They want to hide something from you. We have the same ability as full-grown adults, as those who are in the kingdom of God, we can walk with our dad, our hearts are open, our lives are open, and that's true with each other. But you know, when we make those decisions to go to the shady side of life, to turn from some area of light into darkness, you know what it does. It shuts us off in that realm from fellowship with God and also from fellowship with each other. And if you've seen this happen with other Christians, sometimes you'll know somebody that's walked with the Lord and you talk to them and they just seem cool to you and you wonder what's wrong. Or they're not in fellowship anymore and you wonder what's going on in their life and then you find out later, well, they left their spouse or they, you know, they cheated in their taxes or, I mean, you name it. We've known Christians who've done all of these things and it explained the darkness. I loved it when I met a Christian I hadn't seen in years, and this has been a few years ago, at a restaurant here in town. Hadn't seen him in years. We'd gone to a vital church together in our Christian youth, and he shook my hands, was glad to see me, but this was one of the first questions he said to me. Are you still walking with the Lord? I was thrilled he asked. You know the reason he asked was because he'd seen many Christians who weren't. 
You know, it's a great thing for the light of day to shine into our lives spiritually, but we're called then to walk in that same light. To walk in the light. Winding down here about the light, if you've been spiritually born again, you've moved from darkness to light and life. And then God invites you to continue walking in the light. But you know, your future and mine It's in the light. And Israel's future is in the light. Listen to this, Malachi 4. By the way, these things have never been fulfilled in Israel. I believe they will be yet in the future. Malachi 4, Malachi is a great little book, and it ends the Old Testament. And it ends with a great promise that is given in the midst of judgment. Because God says his day of judgment was coming. And it was going to be like an oven burning up wickedness. But he says, for you, this same day, for you who fear my name, this day isn't an oven that consumes you. The sun, S-U-N, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The sun of righteousness is a person, of course. It's Messiah. It's his real Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this day that is otherwise filled with judgment, Christ rises like the sun with healing or life in his wings. He brings with him healing and life. That's Israel's future. Listen to this out of Isaiah 60. Same thing. It's a period of judgment. But then God looks at Israel and he says, but this is what's going to be true of you. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning or sorrow will be over. God says in you know Israel, up, down, and everywhere, in judgment and good times and bad, God looks at their end and says, it's light. And it won't be a light like the sun or the moon. The moon wanes, you know. It's, it's uh, waxing now, I think, coming up. You'll see it at night, but it'll be a new moon and you won't see it at all. In other words, the light is not constant. Or even the sun, depending on where we are on the earth, we see it for part of the day and not the other. But no, he says for Israel, the day will come for you when the light will never go out. Your future, your eternity with me is a light that never goes out. Generally speaking, Proverbs 4.18 says this, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. You know, the truth is, we still as Christians, we live on the silent, dark planet. Planet Earth is still under the control, the rule of the prince of darkness. So it's still characterized by darkness and death. But in Philippians, do you remember what Paul says the presence of Christians is like? It's like a light in a dark place. And when you and I are saved, Christ gives us his light. We're a light in a dark place. But for us, as far as our vision is concerned, it's like somebody who sees for the first time. And so we start looking around. And as we walk with the Lord, the light doesn't stay constant. It gets brighter and brighter and brighter until the eternal day dawns. When there is no sunset and sunrise, when just like Israel, it will be true for us, we enter the eternal day where there's no shadows left. And this is what John says in Revelation 22. 
closing out the testimony of the Scripture and telling us where as believers we go, he says, describing the new Jerusalem and your future home and mine, there will no longer be night. There will be no longer darkness. They will not have the need of a light of lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. See this Proverbs verse, it's true of everyone who's been born again. Your life begins with the entrance of light, which is the presence of Christ. And as you walk with him in this life, the light only gets brighter and fuller. But it doesn't stop because when you and I leave this dark world behind, whether it's through death or rapture, we enter an eternal day, a place and an age that's characterized by light and it's not fickle like the moon. And it doesn't rise and set like the sun, but it's eternal because it's embodied in the person and from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So I love this thought when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He is light. And like light, he's complex. It appears simple, he's not. He's God and he's man. Light, yes, it's wave and it's particle. Light's discernible as this small component of this large spectrum. And we see Christ, and we do see him as he is, but we only discern, we only apprehend a small part of who and what he is. At a conference years ago, we went to, uh, a guy was trying to describe his understanding of what heaven would be like, and he said it's something like this. You know, when you read Revelation, the, the book that describes heaven most fully, more fully than any other text, Go through sometimes, just make a study of this. Read what the people in heaven say. Just read what the people in heaven say. It's illuminating. It's praise and worship. That's what it boils down to, with almost without exception. There's a couple exceptions in there, but almost without exception. And his idea of heaven was this. We'd be there in heaven, and we're worshiping and bowing, and we're, we're in awe at Christ's presence. And, you know, maybe then we get a little used to that. And then God, he opens his robes, as it were, and he reveals more of his glory. And we're blown away again as the light increases, as it were. And we fall down again in awe at more revelation of his glory. And I think heaven will be like this. It's as if the visible wavelengths will grow for us. That in eternity before Christ, we see this little part and because God's omnipresent and omniscient, that is, he's eternal in his essence, you know what you and I will be doing for eternity? We'll be apprehending more and more and more of his light and his life and his goodness. So I love this. It's a simple verse. I'm the light of the world. He walks with me, won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You want life? Walk in the light. Follow the light. Let's pray. Father, I think of passages like Psalm 19 or Romans 1 where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of your hands. Or, Lord, that the creation itself is silent witness to your glory and to your character, to your nature. And, Father, when we look up today at the sun and the light it gives, or tonight when we see the stars that shine overhead, or the moon waxing in its strength, Lord, when we see the light shining from a light bulb, help us to remember Jesus' words, 
I am the light of the world. God in heaven, thank you that you've left yourself testimony in nature around us and by your spirit and by your word. Father, I pray that a couple things, I guess, for us. Help us to see you as you are. Help us to behold your glory. Paul says it's in a dim, it's in a mere dimly now, but Lord, help us as much as possible on this planet, in this age and time. Help us to see you as you are. I pray that your spirit would work unhindered in us to reveal your light and your goodness, your essential nature and character. Father, I pray also that we are like those dressed in shining white garments who accurately reflect your character and your nature, your truth. Lord, that our garments aren't soiled and dirty, absorbing light, but they are clean and white, reflecting light. Lord, on the other hand, I pray that our lives are transparent and that we're like a light bulb, that the glass over it doesn't keep light out, but it freely allows it to emit. And I pray that your presence in us, as Paul says in Philippians, that we shine as lights in a dark world. Father, for those of us who have come to know you, or rather, as Paul says, to be known by you, those who have trusted in you and been born again, thank you for light and life. And Father, I pray that you'd be delighted to pick us up and use us as those in 2 Corinthians 4 to proclaim the excellency of you and your Son and that you would use us in our testimony to bring many others to glory, to bring them into the light of day. And Father, help us. Help us to walk in the light with you and with each other And thank you for the promise we have more sure than the sun rising tomorrow that the eternal day will dawn. We will see you face to face as you are. And Lord, with Paul we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.